When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome everybody here to the Lakers Slowdown. I'm Anthony Irwin. As you can tell, I do not have a voice. Avery brought home something from preschool, which means that we will be getting through this as quickly as I possibly can. There is actually a ton to get to, though, having to do with that win that the Lakers had Friday night, the win that they had last night or tonight, if you guys are watching live on YouTube. Remember, subscribe, rate, review, all of that good stuff. Um, but let's dive into specifically Sunday night's game because I think it's it's even though the Lakers beat Phoenix in in kind of exciting fashion, I actually think there is more to take from their win tonight or last night against the Blazers without LeBron James. So let's get to that and yeah, let's see how see how long this voice holds up. So I want to start with uh, macro. Usually I work micro and, you know, make my way to macro eventually. But I want to start macro here. To this point in the season, the Lakers have been basically a disaster. And no matter what team that they were playing, no matter what circumstance, whatever, if LeBron James wasn't on the court, things were not going well for the Lakers. And yes, the Blazers are going to be one of the worst teams in the NBA this year. And even given that, They didn't have like their entire guard rotation. They didn't, you know, it was even, even given how bad Portland is going to be this year, this was one of the worst versions of them that they could be. And you would like to beat the crap out of a team like that. But I do think that, you know, with, with the way that the Lakers are playing without LeBron to this point, I didn't think that the Lakers were going to blow Portland out in any way. You know, I, I thought that this was going to be one of those kind of, frustrating games that the Lakers would play with their food a little bit and you would see guys kind of figure out roles as they played in them. Right. Um, I thought of everybody, D'Angelo Russell, I thought took to his new role without LeBron James quicker than everybody else. Um, And, you know, you look at his line in 32 minutes, 11 points, 11 assists, <clears throat> only one turnover, and that came on the first play of the game. So really, like, for 48 minutes, he, only, he didn't really turn the ball over. Um, finishes a plus four. Had some dumb plays, I thought, and, and I think this is kind of what drove Wolves fans crazy with D'Angelo Russell is that, like, he is capable of really positively impacting a game, but he's also really capable of, like, cutting off a, a, a run with a dumb shot or a dumb pass or, you know, slowing down a transition instead of like pushing the ball or whatever. Um, And I thought we got like every, the entire D'Angelo Russell spectrum in this one. Um, But at the end of the day, 
the Lakers needed an engine and he provided that engine on, on offense as, you know, as, as frustrating as it was at times, it was also gorgeous at other times, right? He has a real rapport with Anthony Davis. Um, you know, he's very, it, we'll, we'll talk about Anthony Davis here in a second, but you know, the whole point basically of, of, you know, the way that you succeed when you don't have LeBron is to optimize Anthony Davis and D'Angelo Russell really focused on that. And it led to, it helped lead to AD going for 30 points, 13 boards. He also had six assists, three blocks, 10 of 20 from the field, 10 of 12 from the line, a monster night for Anthony Davis. And I thought that it, it, it took place in large part because throughout the game, D'Angelo Russell, like wouldn't let Anthony Davis float. Um, and, and I thought that that is, uh, again, there were some aspects of the game that I didn't particularly like from Russell, but that like the, the, the unending focus on making sure that AD ate and continued to eat throughout the game against a bad, small, shorthanded Portland team. That's why the Lakers won. And that's why AD looked the way that he did. And I thought that, you know, this is going to be something that um, can be taken forward when LeBron is available, but sits down for stretches, just making sure that, you know, I know to this point, they've really tried to connect D'Lo and LeBron minutes, but I actually would like to see them connect D'Lo and AD minutes. And, and cause I just think of the two kind of lead ball handlers that the Lakers have between Russell and Reeves, I think Russell is a lot more focused on keeping AD going. And I think it comes a lot more natural to him than say Austin Reeves, who is a lot more like attack mode first, second, and third. And then once the defense backs off or plays, uh, you know, a certain way, now he adjusts and he, and he starts facilitating. Um, and, and, and this is why, you know, even given everything that I've said about D'Angelo Russell and how I don't think he's going to finish the season with the Lakers, this is why he is starting and, and Reeves is coming off of the bench. Russell just kind of understands these things a little bit better than Reeves does right now at each of their stages, you know, the stage of both of their careers. And, and it just, you know, the, the offense flowed better when Russell was out there compared to Reeves um, for, for a variety of reasons. So that was, you know, and again, there's plenty of disclaimers and there was plenty of frustration throughout this game. And I totally understand why people watching would be like, I mean, we're really going to, you know, put a notch in the old belt for beating a bad shorthand Blazers team. Like, no, like I, I would have preferred to beat the crap out of them and not have to sweat out the last five minutes. <clears throat> Excuse me. But what I, I will take from it is that, you know, this is going to be a long process and it's going to be an important process learning how to play without LeBron or even if you don't have to take it that far, learning how to tread water without LeBron so that when he sits, you don't have to rush him back out there and have him, you know, be a, a lifter of worlds, a carrier of tides, um, you know, that he's been to this point in the season. And, I thought it was a smart game for the Lakers to sit LeBron because of the matchup. And I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good game that basically they have data, they have tape, 
that they'll be able to show these guys and say, these are the things that we need to hammer when LeBron isn't out there or when he isn't available so that we don't look like the complete tire fire that we have looked like to this point in the season when LeBron hasn't, hasn't been out there. Uh, we do have to give AD his flowers here. He was incredible in, in this one. And uh, I thought that, you know, for somebody who is uh, just a, you know, a very polarizing presence, I think for, for a variety of reasons, AD playing the way that he did in this one, excuse me, um, really, really kind of, um, yeah, again, same kind of thing as the last segment. The Lakers have that tape. They have that data. <clears throat> DeAndre Ayton is a really frustrating player. He has all the tools physically to compete with AD, but there was no competition in this one. The Lakers scored a ton of points in the paint. He was feasting all game long. He got to the free throw line to the tune of 12 free throws, which is something that I think it's his highest to this point in the season. Um, and, and yeah, like I would like to see this in a Jokic game, in an Embiid game, in a Gobert game, whatever. I would that would be really nice. But it starts here, you know, and and you kind of have to just enjoy these kinds of games when they come along from AD, um, and and you know be able to look back on them and look ahead with them and say, all right, this is what did what what did the Lakers do that made him this kind of successful, and what did he do that made him this kind of successful, and one like very notable difference that I saw in this game and I've seen lately from AD that I didn't see at the beginning of the season was he's actually setting screens. He's setting his feet. He's <clears throat> making himself as wide as possible without being illegal. And it's freeing up the ball handler and it's forcing AD's guy to have to react to the play. And it gives AD a bit of a runway. And, you know, whether it's him, finishing at the rim whether it's him um you know being so deep into the paint that the defense has no choice basically but to foul him or occasionally in the short roll getting to the free throw line seeing the defense fully rotate over and hitting the opposite corner um and yeah the lakers shot like crap from from three-point range in this one four of 19 to the you know 21 percent um on the night <clears throat> and it is a really frustrating thing, I would imagine, for everybody that AD gets the ball there at the free throw line, makes the right read. It's a wide open shooter and it just doesn't fall, but it is still the right play. That was the point that like LeBron was making the other night, right? Where, yeah, a lot of people wanted to see him force a shot against Miami, but instead he skipped the ball over to Cam Reddish. Reddish put a good stroke on it. It was just long. It was online. It looked good for the majority of the the, the flight towards the rim, um, but it was the right read for LeBron there. And, you know, I think AD in this one made a lot of the right reads. Sometimes he wasn't rewarded with an assist. Other times he was. I, I think six assists is uh, the highest that he's had to this point in the season as well. It was just a really good AD game. And, and I think that it really kind of starts with the general approach that is – kind of highlighted by the physicality that he was setting screens with the, the, the physicality that he was playing with inside. I don't know what it was about DeAndre Ayton. I don't know what was going on there, but AD beat the crap out of him. 
And and that hasn't always been the case. There have been games where Aiton has played AD well, and in this one, he didn't. Uh, Aiton finishes the game um, a game low, minus 17, um, you know, plus minus, meaning, you know, AD, every time he saw Aiton out there, it was like food. You know, every time he got the ball in a pick and roll and saw Aiton in front of him, he was crab dribbling getting low, knocking Aiton off of his spot and getting a good release on, on a jump hook or just finishing at the rim and just dunking, um, having done the work to, to be able to put himself in a spot where he can just catch the ball, collect himself, go up and dunk it. He dominated Aiton tonight. He don- he was dominating <laughs> in this one. And uh, it was uh, it was a hell of an effort. And again, just like I said in the in the previous segment, it's the kind of game that you can that the Lakers can basically show him and say, "Hey, this these are the things that you need to do when LeBron isn't out there to to be as impactful as you are when he is." And I I really honestly think that it starts with the physicality that he that he played with all over the court, and particularly in actually setting screens. Uh, Austin Reeves came off the bench again, despite not having LeBron in the lineup. I thought I, I kind of scratched my head when I saw that, but I also kind of think it makes sense that, you know, this is an identity kind of thing that Darvin Ham is really trying to get everybody used to. And it, you know, when you really kind of boil it down, it makes sense that Reeves would still come off of the bench as this is essentially the way that they are going to carry forward for the next, you know, 10 games or so, at least maybe even 20 while the Lakers really see um, if if that is a thing that they can do to stagger Russell and and Reeves and and make both of them better versions that they were at the beginning of this year, um, I I did think that by coming off of the bench, Reeves is a lot more comfortable with just attacking. He scored in this one uh, eighteen points. Six of 12 from the field, two of four from three point range, four of four from the free throw line. Those are the numbers. Like, that's those are the numbers that you want to hit. He grabbed four boards, <clears throat> he he dished out four assists, and, and was a plus three on the night. And I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that nights where he and D'Angelo Russell are both in the plus in, in terms of plus minus the Lakers are going to win those ones, right? Because you know that LeBron is going to, is going to have a positive impact on the game. Usually same goes for AD. And if you have two other guys in, in, in Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell also doing that. And I know plus minus is a, is a flawed stat. There's a lot of context that gets lost in, in analyzing it through plus minus, but to have both of those guys be staggered as much as, as they are, because LeBron wasn't there and because now Reeves is coming off of the bench. If both of them are positive, that means that those are longer stretches of the game that the Lakers are outplaying their opponent. And in this one, the Lakers outplayed uh, the Blazers, I thought, more consistently throughout the game than they have just about any opponent. And yes, again, it's the Blazers, they're bad and they're shorthanded. So you have to do that against that kind of a team. But Austin, A, accepting the role, and B, now learning how to get comfortable in it, and C, um, not just learning how to get comfortable in it, but like legitimately looking more comfortable in it, um, really kind of speaks to it being the right move in the first place. No matter who 
you believe should be going into the into the starting group instead of him. Um, Cam Reddish has been fantastic since being since being inserted into that starting group, but uh, I I do think given the way that Reeves has looked since coming off of the bench, it was the right move. It just it it just was. Speaking of Reddish again, another really good game from him. He finishes. He plays thirty eight minutes. Um, that was second only to Anthony Davis, who played 41. Uh, Reddish finishes with 18 points, seven boards, a couple assists, a few steals, a block, was a plus 10, seven of 10 from the field, one of three from three-point range, got to the line and shot three free throws as well. Um, <clears throat> the Lakers as a team got to the line 37 times in this one, and it was just – it was an onslaught. You know, they basically knew that – whether or not Aiton was on the court, there just wasn't the rim protection there. And they just kept going and going and going. And, and basically Portland had no choice on several occasions, but to just foul. Um, I know that, you know, there's there, I can, I can already tell because of the numbers here as they exist that, you know, there's probably a whole bunch of people whining about free throw uh, numbers and, and the discrepancy here. The Blazers shot nine, the Lakers shot, Nine, uh, 37. Uh, the Blazers shot 37 three-pointers. The Lakers shot 19. And that usually kind of explains it. Uh, I know it's, it's uh, you know, a little, uh, it's an oversimplification of, of those stats. But, at, you know, I think that kind of highlights it. But, but regardless, about Reddish, he just, I think, I, the, the the natural talent has always been there, right? That's why he was drafted where he was. That's why he's had as many chances as he's had. But he is is playing with such confidence on the defensive side. And he's playing with such energy and focus on the defensive side that he's basically allowing it to set up the rest of his game. And um, Stu Lance basically made the note in this game that like, he moves from offense to defense faster, basically, than anybody on the team. And, uh, and, and you know, it led to a couple easy baskets for him, uh, a couple possessions. And honestly, I thought he created a couple travels that weren't called. And sorry, a, a carry that wasn't called. Um, and, and, you know, those are huge plays in terms of momentum changers, momentum builders and stuff like that. And, and he's been great at that. And, um, you know, he moves his feet really well, given how long he is. Uh, he utilizes that length on and off of the ball. And, you know, when we talk about needing somebody else in that lineup who plays with force, he has done exactly that. And uh, again, I know that it was controversial. I myself was like flabbergasted by the move of inserting Cam Reddish into the starting lineup. And no, I don't think he's, <coughs> he's not going to continue shooting the way that he has um, since being inserted into the starting lineup. But he does so many other little things that like you can, you can live with regression whenever it happens. And as it happens, um, we'll see where that regression lands, right? We don't, we don't, it, it, it gets tough when, you know, if, if the regression means that he winds up just shooting as well as Jared Vanderbilt, then you're just like, well, may as well just play Vanderbilt. And maybe that's what they're doing anyway. But to this point, if basically this was an audition 
to continue to start. He has done everything that he has needed to do to win that role here moving forward. And, and man, it has been fun to watch. It is really cool when you see somebody maybe start to figure it out and it is super early in the season. So I'm not going to go out and say that he'd had that he has, but he has been very good and, and he deserves a ton of credit for doing so not just through scoring, but through, but, but through doing the little things that the, that the team needs to win. All right. Uh, I believe, Oh, one last note. <clears throat> I don't know if anybody else, well, I guess two more notes. I don't know if anybody noticed this, but down the stretch of the game and for most of the game, even though Cam Reddish was out there and Cam spent, an, an, you know, an amount of time on this guy as well, but quietly down the stretch, Darvin Ham put Rui Hachimura on Jeremy Grant and, and really kind of forced that challenge upon him and said, Hey, prove to us that we should continue to trust you or, or, or you can earn more trust on that side of the court. And I thought Rui played really well in that, in that setting. And I, I kind of think that Rui is a little like Russell Westbrook in that if he's off of the ball, he will kind of loaf around. Um, and if he, if he's off of the ball guarding somebody who, you know, either he doesn't necessarily respect as a shooter or the game plan dictates that he needs to hedge off of him. He doesn't do the best job of, of, uh, getting back and, and closing out in those things. But when he's guarding somebody like Grant, who deserves his respect, is the highest paid player on 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 the court for the Blazers, is basically their best player. That is where I thought, um, you know, Rui really kind of accepted that challenge. And because of of that setting, has no choice but to really focus and bear down in those moments. And And I thought he did a really good job here. On the negative side, and this isn't really Rui's fault, but I, I still am waiting for the Lakers to do something to get him easier looks because throughout the game, all of his looks are in isolation. All of his looks are at the end of the shot clock. He gets very few looks. Like if he gets an easy look it's because he did something going out of his way, whether it's an offensive rebound or a really good cut or something like that. And that's something that he can still do more of, right? More cutting, more screening and whatever. But I would like to see the Lakers figure out a way to get him easier looks earlier in the game so that he can develop a little bit more rhythm um, than, than he is developing right now. But to me, I thought the bigger development coming out of this was the coaching staff basically telling him, you got that guy, go get him prove like through that you are going to prove that you should get more minutes and more opportunities. And I thought he rose to that challenge um, Sunday night. All right, last note uh, about this game and, and and before my voice gives out completely, but Torian Prince hasn't been able to throw a pee in the ocean. I think he's shooting like 30-something percent um, from deep this season, and you know he promised 40. But one thing I'll give him credit for, and I that, you know, even while I say this, he needs to start shooting better. But, um, you know, a lot of times when the Lakers have employed, you know, Wayne Ellington or Malik Beasley or Reggie Bullock or whomever, those guys would like not Mike Muscala. Those guys would be expected to shoot well, wouldn't shoot well, but then wouldn't do anything else to be like useful basketball players out there. And what I will say about Torian Prince is 
even though he hasn't shot well, he's attacking the basket. He's still being productive on offense. Um, I thought in this one, he did a better job of being involved defensively. Um, he grabbed three boards, which, you know, is kind of groundbreaking for him. <laughs> um, but he scores his 11 points or whatever. And, and look, like if he is going to earn himself minutes here, he has to start knocking down these open shots. But the fact that, you know, teams still do respect him as a shooter the way that they have, he is able to attack those closeouts, get to the rim, and and still be a useful offensive player despite not knocking down those shots. And uh, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for doing that, you know, versions of that on both sides of the court while he is clearly frustrated about how poorly he is shooting. Um, so, I, again, when everybody is healthy, if he isn't knocking down shots, he's just not going to play. But while everybody is, like, getting back, and, and hopefully we'll get an update here in the next few days about Jared Vanderbilt, Spectrum said we would. Um, but, you know, while people are still out, this is an opportunity for Prince to show, all right, well, even while I'm not making my shots, here's what I can do to still be useful. And and that's been fun to watch. Just, Torian, make your shots, please. I am begging. I don't remember the last time, like, for me, I I basically designate how good a shooter is when, you know, if they're open, the the amount of confidence I have and I feel when that shot goes up, right? If you're playing, if the Lakers are playing against somebody, you know, like Steph, right? And he's open, it's just like, oh, all right, that's that's three points. And that's like, he's the greatest shooter of all time. Um, but for the Lakers, when the ball rotates over to Prince, I'm like, please, please, instead of bucket, you know, instead of, all right, get, get back on defense, as I was hoping to feel, that was the amount of confidence I was hoping to feel in him, but I haven't felt it to this point. So hopefully soon we start to see that that amount of, of, of confidence and competence that, you know, when he is open, I'm not sitting here like praying to God that, that this is a this is the one that breaks him out of the slump. All right. Uh, that is going to do it here for this episode of the Lakers Lowdown. Apologies for the way that I sounded. Uh, this is really frustrating for me as it is, I'm sure, for you to listen to. Hopefully this is cleared up in the next couple of days. Going to drink a bunch of hot tea and stuff and really limit the amount that I'm going to talk here moving forward um, and, and, and make sure that this is hopefully one of the last times you hear me sounding like this. Um, but until the next time you guys hear from me, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a great rest of your day. Make somebody else's and I will talk to you tomorrow.